This time we're going to read from 2 Samuel, chapter 22, verse 1 through 7. And we'll alternate. I'll read verse 1, and we'll follow verse 2, and we'll read verse 7 together. This is the reading of God's word. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me. Verse 7 together. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. All right. We are continuing in our series through the life of David, and we only have a couple more weeks uh, before we get to our next series. And so here we are, 2 Samuel chapter 22. All right. Uh, it's a longer chapter, but we're focusing in on the first seven verses of this chapter. Uh, interestingly enough, this uh, psalm of David is also found in the book of the Psalms, Psalm 18. So if you've ever read Psalm 18 and you're like, what we're reading today sounds really familiar, it's because we'll find this song twice in Scripture, all right? It's very interesting. And I think, uh, well, experts as well, uh, commentators think that it was done because this uh, Psalm of David actually entered into the liturgy of God's people. So they, it was recorded and it was sung as a hymn and a song for the uh, people of Israel. Anyways, verse 1, we're told right away uh, who wrote this song. David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day. And those words on the day, I think, gives us maybe a telling hint that there was a specific day that he wrote it and probably wasn't like him just sitting there in his old age thinking back and thinking, man, God surely delivered me from a lot of enemies. He delivered me from the hand of Saul. It, it, it may have been one specific day when he was, uh, the, the realization had hit him. You know what? The promise God had made, the anointing I had received when I was but a teenager was now going to come true. And if we had to pick a, a certain battle that maybe that happened, the Battle of Gilboa. And anyways, whether we think of this text as a, a specific day after a specific event dealing with really specific tribulations and trials, or whether we see it not dealing with one particular incident, the meaning of this song is the same. And that's what we're going to go over today. We see this amazing proclamation and description of God as the rock, the fortress, deliverer, God in whom we take refuge, shield, the horn of our salvation, stronghold, refuge, and savior. And I think uh, it's easy for us to say, you know what, uh, David was the king of Israel who went through some crazy things, yes, but at the end of it all, he received salvation and deliverance, so of course he would pen these words. And maybe our temptation is to say, my life is different. I'm not the king of anything. 
I'm not rich. I'm not powerful. It seems like God doesn't hear my prayer requests. It seems like I have not been delivered from anything. And so my song, if I had to pen it, would be different from this song. Maybe it would be a song of complaints, a song of questions, maybe even a song of bitterness. Maybe it would just be a sad, sad song. But it certainly wouldn't be this proclamation that the Lord is the rock and my fortress and my deliverer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I do want to take a few minutes, though, all right, to remind you of David's story. When we first meet David, he's a teenager. So we got some teenagers in this room today, right? He was your age. How many of you guys are between the age of 12 and 16? Yeah, let's do the raise the hand thing in church. You're, you are between 12 and 16 years old. Let's see it. Be proud. We're jealous of you. So you guys are at the age where we first meet David, right? Now, your life is probably school, I don't know, sports, maybe musical instruments. David's life at that point, he was a shepherd. And we meet him because God comes to his prophet Samuel, so he had my name, Samuel, and he tells Samuel, you're going to go, and I'm going to tell you who the next king of Israel is going to be, and you're going to anoint him because the current king, Saul, was making mistake after mistake. He was being disobedient to God, and it wasn't going to last in God's plan and purpose. And so he tells Samuel to go. And he gets there and he sees the first son of Jesse. And he says, oh man, this must be the next king of Israel. He assumes that the oldest one would be the one that God would have him anoint. Samuel thought Eliab, David's oldest brother, was the one. But God told Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Interestingly enough, later in that chapter, when we are told what David looks like, he's described as having beautiful eyes and being handsome. Right? So it wasn't that he was ugly, he had beautiful eyes. We don't hear that a lot about guys, but that's what he had. And he was handsome. So really, I think what it comes down to was he just didn't look like a king. Right? Because what does God mention to Samuel? His stature, his height. So seven sons of Jesse come out, and all of them are rejected by God. Samuel asked Jesse, do you have any more sons? He's like, oh, yeah, I do. I have one more, the youngest, but he's tending sheep. Samuel asks for him, he comes, and that's when he realizes what a handsome man he is, but with the heart that God wanted. He's anointed to be the next king of Israel when he was your age. Your age. That's kind of crazy to think about, right? Think about that. If, if someone came to you and anointed you and said, you will be the next, I don't know, president of the United States and anointed you with that, right? 
Now, do you guys know how long it was before he actually became the king of Israel? I'm going to ask another question, and you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you guys are 30 years old? Now, if you're between ages of 12 and 16, look around this room and try to think of someone who looks like they're 30 years old. Right? Are you looking around? Find someone who's 30. You had to wait. David had to wait till he was 30 years old. You guys are probably thinking, that's old. You know what? For David, there was this period of life. And I would, you know, we've been going through many of his stories uh, here on Sundays. But I really encourage you to take some time this week to read through it. It's an incredible story of God working uh, in someone's life and through his people's lives. But when he received that anointing and when he actually became king, there was many years. And they weren't all good years. In fact, what happened to David was he sort of rapidly gained popularity, especially after the story of David and Goliath, which we went over a few weeks ago here at church. After that, there were many people who sang their praises of David, and they belittled the king, Saul. And what do you think that did to Saul, the king? Made him angry, made him jealous, to the point where he had murderous intentions and one of his biggest goals in life as a king of Israel was he wanted to kill David. He wanted to kill him. And so David, for over a decade of his life, you know what his life was like? He was running, 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 and hiding. He was a fugitive. A fugitive from the most powerful man in the land. So the description that we see in scripture is of someone who had to live in caves, someone who was constantly on the move, asking others for help and protection, to the point where David described his life to his friends. All right, in 1 Samuel 20, this is how he described it. There is but one step. All right, think about this. It's, these, uh, it's like surprisingly poetic. There is but one step between me and death. That's how he described his life. For over a decade, he was one wrong step away from dying. If he was in the wrong place at the wrong time and the wrong person saw him and told Saul, the king, he was a dead man. If he was, happened to go out in the morning because he wanted some fresh air, and it just happened to be the wrong time to pop out of the cave, he's a dead man. So that's how he lived for over 10 years. Now, if I was David, I don't care what God do, would do after those 10 years, I would not write this song. My song would be something like, God is slow. God's timing is not my timing. I got anointed when I was a teenager, but I didn't see it come true till I was 30. I cried out to him and cried out to him and cried out to him. And I spent many years in caves. But it wasn't until I was 30 years old. My song might have looked like, it's a little late, God. 
we're going to spend a few minutes looking at what I think characterizes not only the heart of David, but his life, and some things in the text that I think could help us to also think, whether we're going through trials, whether we're going through struggles, whether we're afraid of our lives for fear of losing it, or maybe we're in times of glory. Maybe it is time for us to sing, but for some reason we're unable to sing. Maybe everything is going great in our lives, but for some reason this is not our time. And so I want to look at the text for a few minutes. He starts off, verse 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I'm going to ask the easiest question you've probably gotten this week. What is the one word that jumps out at you? Because it comes up over and over and over again. The word? My. I think I heard someone say it. Yeah. The word my. That word comes out over and over and over again. And I know there's all these descriptions of God, these descriptive phrases and nouns. There's, you know, rock in whom I take refuge, my fortress, my deliverer, my shield, the horn of my... But really, there's one word that comes out over and over and over again, and it's the personal pronoun, my. And I think what that shows us is that David had a personal relationship with God. And that's one of the most important things for us to remember today. Because here's the thing. Now, many of you know my daughter just started college, and we had to take her a couple weeks ago and drop her off at the dorm, and there's this whole ritual that goes on now when you you know, drop off your kids at, at college. And, you know, I have a bad habit. I like, I look around at people and I'm always wondering, like, what's he thinking? What is she thinking? And I was looking at all the parents and I was like, oh, that guy's going to cry. That father is just unhappy because they're on the top floor and there's no elevator. And his daughter brought a lot of stuff. And, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of thoughts. You know, for me, I don't know, it was weird. But I kept thinking, wow, this happens. It's just too fast. That was the thing that kept hitting me. I was like, this is too fast. I was like, 18 years, it should have it taken longer, but it was too fast. And all week, I kept remembering moments where my daughter was, uh, you know, young, a child. She would run around and get hurt, you know, bleeding. And I don't know why I remember these moments, but she would run to me, right? And it's not like I'm a doctor, not qualified, but she would run to me. She would run to me if she was hungry, if she was sad, if she was hurt, she would run to me. And here's the thing. At church, especially, because there were, I still, I remember a specific incident where she was running, playing tag in the parking lot, she fell, got kind of bloodied up, looking for mom and dad. She didn't stop and ask, is there a doctor in the room? She didn't look for someone who was a qualified health worker or a nurse. She looked for mom and dad because that's who she knew. For David, yes, God are all these things to him. But he ran to God because he had a relationship with God. He knew God. And for you and I, I think this reminder is very important for us today because we can sing that God is our rock, or we can say these things about God and we can maybe list off characteristics or truths or descriptions about God and who he is. 
But unless we feel like he is our God, my God, the one that I've been praying to, the one that I've been coming to in my times of need, the one that I've been worshiping, the one that I've been reading about, the one that I've been trying to get more, uh, get to know more and more through Bible study, through personal times of devotion, unless I have a personal relationship with him, I'm just not sure we'll run to him. And so when we're hurt, we ask, is there a doctor in the room? And if there's a financial problem, we'll look for financial experts. You see what I'm saying? The personal relationship that David had developed over those years of running and hiding and fearing for his life was the very same thing that allowed him at the very end of all of that. When finally he was saved, when finally he was delivered, that was what allowed him now to praise God and to say, yes, he's my rock. Yes, he's my fortress. Yes, he's my deliverer. And my brothers and sisters in Christ and young people here today who are joining us, this is what I want to challenge you with. Church is about developing that personal relationship with your God. So that when you face adversity and when you face trouble, you have a God that you turn to. You have a rock that you seek. You have a refuge that you seek shelter in. And that doesn't happen unless you're spending that time and energy and the resources to do that for yourself. Uh, our children's pastor and I, we were at a breakout session at a conference, and it was a session on trying to train up people to do family worship. And I thought maybe we, we could get some good things out of it. And the first thing he asked was, you know, are, are your children able to worship God on their own? Do they have a personal faith? And they know how to pray and worship God on their own. And that one question, that's all I could think about for the next, so I have zero notes. I'm sorry to report back to you that I didn't take any notes on that breakout session. I just kept thinking about that one thing. Do we have a personal faith, a personal ability to come before God and sing and praise and worship him? Now, the second thing is, I think David realized, and of course he did because of his life and everything that he went through, he had a very clear definition of who God was and is. Even if you think about that simple statement of God is my rock, that term rock, I think there's two, two things to think about. First, uh, Using the metaphor rock to describe God, that wasn't something that David invented. We find it a lot in the Psalms, and that's where we mostly find it. But it wasn't new to the people of Israel. Uh, the, through the wilderness experience, God had caused water to flow from a rock. Moses later was literally hid, hidden and kept safe uh, in a cleft of a rock. 
uh, as God passed by with his holy presence and glorious presence. And so for Moses then, even in Deuteronomy 34, he uses that metaphor, God is a rock, to describe God. Even in Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2.2, God is compared to a rock. There is none other like you. You are the rock. And so when David says, uh, God is my rock, there's probably some familiarity with this idea that God is someone we can depend upon. God is steady. God is stable. God is trustworthy. He will always be steady and still while everything else is moving and changing. And it's the idea of reliable versus unreliable. There's that for sure. But I think what's also uh, important to consider is that those specific words he uses, rock and fortress, uh, these are words, and Joyce Baldwin does a great job of, of, of bringing this out in her commentary. These are experiences that David had where in those 10 plus years of running and hiding, he was literally hiding in rocks and caves. And there were literal uh, fortresses and strongholds that he sought out for protection. For example, uh, 1 Samuel 22, he went to the king of Moab. He went there with his family, 400. The Bible describes them as weak people who were being chased and they were running for their lives. And he went to the king of Moab and said, please let my father and my mother stay here until I figure out what God wants me to do. Let them stay here in this stronghold, fortress, whatever you want to call it. And so I wonder if something that was very real for him is he's remembering those things, the rocks he hid in, the fortresses he hid in, the strongholds he hid in, all the different places he took refuge. And for him, it wasn't that Moab's, king of Moab saved him. It wasn't the cave that saved him. It was God. So yes, God literally was his rock, his stronghold, his fortress, and his refuge. So if we also desire this song to be our song, and we want to be able to, to run to God and to flee to God and and say and cry out to him, you know what, you are our all-sufficient refuge. Not only must we know him personally, but we also have to know him in terms of who he is and what he does and how he acts and, and how he delivers us and how he hears us. And a lot of times it's through natural means. It's through things he says to us through other people or sometimes through doors that open or doors that close. It's not always going to be the presence of God swinging by and passing by where we have to hide out in the cleft of the rock. The Lord as shield protects David from his enemies, but also protects us, all who are his children, all who are godly, all those he would declare to be a part of his covenant community and the church. We can also claim that the Lord is our shield, our protection, our refuge. But I think if we want to be people who want to run to him and experience that for ourselves, yeah. Right? There's this aspect of knowing him. Okay? 
The next thing I want us to consider, and if you look at verse 4, is that David cried out and called out to the one who could hear and answer him. It, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies. Look at that, verses 5 and 6. The waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cores of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God I called. From his temple he heard my voice. And my cry came to his ears. This is not someone being really dramatic and, and really exaggerating. You know, this is not the... Uh, you know, he caught a fish this big, but as he tells everybody, it's like this giant whale he caught or, or shark or something. He's really not exaggerating. He, he was one step to, uh, away from dying. And so for him to say, yes, this, this is what my experience was like. These were the thoughts and emotions I had to, to really struggle with and go through this the, the death encompassing me, surrounding me, right? Um, the torrents of destruction, that, that storm of destruction being something that he's constantly being under attack by. Uh, the snares of death, there's this almost hunter language, right? Traps being set, those snares being set for him. That was his life. And what did he do when his life was like that? He called out to God. There are several psalms that describe and record for us some of his very prayers and the way he called out, Psalm 57. And the thing is, I don't think he stopped calling out to God. You know, some of us are very good, and if you're like me, we're good at calling out to him when things first go terribly wrong. And maybe some of us are good at calling out to him for 10 days or 10 weeks or 10 months or even a year. But 10 plus years. Call out to God. To ask for salvation in the face of these things. Waves of death, torrents of destruction, cords of shield, snares of death. For 10 plus years. To not lose that hope and trust in God and to constantly cry out. Why? says it in verse 7. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. He's calling out to a God who hears, to a God who cares, to a God who knows. And so he didn't question what, whether God was hearing him or not. He didn't question whether God still cared for him or not. He just had to keep calling out. He just had to keep crying out to the one he knew heard him. He knew his cry was falling upon the ears of God. I wonder for you and I today if this is not a powerful reminder, right? That we have a God who listens and a God who hears us. And because our lives are not going the way we would like it to go, it doesn't mean he doesn't hear us. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't care for us. 
doesn't mean that at all. But my hope and prayer is that as a church, as a youth group, as college students, as parents, as young adults, that we are able to sing this song that David penned. Yes, the Lord is my rock. Yes, he's my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. And the thing is, we have what I think is even a greater deliverance than what David received when he was saved from Saul in his hands. We've been delivered from the hands of Satan. We've been delivered from receiving the consequences of our sinfulness, our rebelliousness, rejecting God. And instead of receiving that consequence, we're called children of God, and we receive the inheritance of Christ. And so, yes, we can sing this song. And not only can we sing this song, we can run to the rock of Christ. Amen? And we can depend on him and call out to him and know that he hears us, regardless of whether we are still in the middle of a trial or struggle or tribulation, or whether we're in that glorious stage of overcoming something, receiving victory over something, of experience wild success in our life. Whatever period or moment we are in, this is the song we sing because Christ literally is our Savior. And he saves us, amen? He saves us. He does what we could not do for ourselves. No matter how hard you worked, no matter how strong, how wise, or how rich, how good-looking, how tall, it doesn't matter. We could not for ourselves cross the lake of death and stand before the judgment of God and say we deserve life. We deserve to be called your child. Simply, it's not going to happen until Christ did it for us. Amen? So let's make this our song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we look at 1 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18, and we hear this song that we want to make our song as well, to trust in you, our rock, our salvation, our refuge, our rescuer, to live our lives in such a way that we would run to you and constantly and consistently cry out to you, that we would have a personal relationship with you, a personal life of singing and praying of studying and reading your word, of worshiping you. We ask for your help. We thank you and pray all these things in Jesus' name.